Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. Hey, what's going on? Jason Wright here. Welcome to episode 11 of the show. This week, as usual, I've got an awesome guest. Before we get into that part of the show, I've got kind of a continuation for you from last week. So, or I should say the last show. If you heard the last podcast, you will have heard a little bit of a teaser that I may have gotten stuck in an elevator at Best Ever Conference, which was last week. The day I'm recording this intro is March 13th, so last week, Best Ever Conference was in Salt Lake City. And on the very last day that I was there, so it ended Friday, this would have been Thursday night, I was on the 10th floor, that's where my room was at, and I was going down to the lobby. So lobby, first floor, and I went down floor six, some people got off, then went down to floor two, three guys got on, and as soon as the doors closed, immediately the elevator went out of service and doors weren't opening, right? So pretty weird. It just kind of shut down right away. You felt the elevator kind of slowly drop like six inches, which is weird. And, you know, the other three guys were in there with me. And it's always interesting in those scenarios. You know, immediately what I think of is, hey, you should focus on the things you can control because obviously you can't control this, right? And uh, one of the guys I was with, I don't want to say he freaked out, but he was, you know, trying to pull the doors open and which obviously is not going to work and trying to climb through a hatch in the top and it's, you know, not die hard. So there's, that doesn't really exist, at least not that, you know, we could see. So what can you do, right? You push the button, the alarm, try to make calls. You know, of course, being in an elevator, the reception for phones is really poor, so... None of us really had a reception, and I was really, really calm, to be honest with you. This happened to me when I was pretty young. It was in the mid-1980s, so I was probably four or five years old. I was with my dad somewhere around Indianapolis uh, in the area, and we were in an industrial like cage elevator that you could actually th- see through the sides and the bottom and the top, and we got stuck between floors. And as I recall it, we were stuck there a long time, like hours, three, four, five hours, something like that. And my dad was screaming for somebody, you know, and he would take a break and keep doing it, keep doing it. And finally, very, very slowly, we were dropped or raised to the next floor and got out. But that was a long time ago. So this recent experience, modern elevator, I was really calm. So I was like, we're on you know, approximately the second floor, so... You know, even if it started to slip down, I mean, it doesn't have to go that far. I wasn't too worried. What was interesting is the hotel was brand new. The phone to dial for help, you know, it's in, it's locked in there. So you push a button and nobody would answer. Then finally somebody answered. It was so muffled that we couldn't even communicate with them. It was completely worthless. I ended up getting a little signal and calling my wife and I said, Hey, Carmen, I'm in an elevator. Call the front desk of the hotel and let them know we're stuck in this elevator. And she was like, what hotel are you in? And she was clearly preoccupied. I think she was driving or something. And she was like, I don't really have time to talk right now. And I don't know if she hung up or we got disconnected. 
like 20 minutes later, she texted me and she said, people are on the way. And other people had reached out. I reached out to another group of friends I was supposed to meet up with. You know, eventually they texted back. They didn't believe me. Everybody else kind of the same experience. And then all of a sudden, you know, we started getting a hold of people. But the doors just popped open. It popped open on the second floor. We all took a picture. They gave us bottled waters. And then I ended up getting a text. And uh, the manager from the hotel a few days later said, we've given you so many points to come enjoy our hotels. I don't know what it's worth. I haven't even looked up to see is it a night, is it two nights, is it a week? I have no idea. But anyways, uh, kind of a funny experience. Makes for a good story. But it reminds you. We are not in control of much. We are not in control of much. And I feel like somebody needs to hear that. But for everything else that we're in control of, you're unsatisfied with your business or your life, put in more effort. Do it more consistently. Take some chances and see what happens. All right. Anyways, today I am talking to another great guest this week. It is Omar Khan. He's the managing director of Boardwalk Wealth. I really like the name of that company. Very cool guy. He's got uh, excellent hair, as you'll see if you're watching the video portion of this on YouTube. Uh, he's got 10 years of real estate investment experience and all kinds of entrepreneurial experience as well. So I know you like this episode, so let's get into it. Hey, Omar. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, thank you for having me, Jason. Very excited. Awesome. So I do not know the answer to this question, so I can't wait to hear it. But tell me how you got started down this road of real estate investing. Jason, I love making money, and I hate paying taxes. <laughs> Those were two commonalities that I think are very prevalent in the real estate world. Yep. Look, my family's been in real estate for a couple of generations. So growing up, and then they're a business family. They're not real estate people. They just happen to own commercial real estate. So obviously, that was one impetuous. The other impetuous was I was in finance, investment banking, portfolio management. So there's a technical know-how there, right? And then around the time I got married, I was like, Okay, you know, career-wise, it seems I was doing okay. I mean, I wasn't, like, not doing okay. I wasn't crushing it. I was doing fine. Yeah. My wife was doing fine, and we thought to ourselves, okay, what's the next step here? And luckily for me, I had good networks. I had good mentors growing, you know, professionally and personally. So it wasn't like I was a guy with a problem. In this particular scenario, it so happened that I was a guy with a problem, but there were potential solutions that were a good fit for my personal and professional background. But, you know, after that, it's all the same everybody's got to go through the same stuff about, you know, putting your first deal together, getting your team, going through that little trough, the peaks and valleys that everybody goes through. But high level wise, man, I think I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful that when I compare myself to a lot of other people who are very successful or who went through so much, like there is some like light bulb moment, right? That they had, boom, they're like, all right, we got to do this. I've never had it to date. Yeah. It was just a, a series of very small steps over a period of time as opposed to some big leap of thinking. So it wasn't as sexy as somebody else's story. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I love that, man. I've got a, a friend and a client that uh, I look up to. I look up to him, even though he's younger and shorter than me. Figure that out, right? But uh, I always ask him, I say, hey, man, how did you how did you get to where you're at? And he said, it's not a sexy story. There's never home runs, just lots of doubles and base hits with different ventures. And I was smart with money and made good decisions, but he said it, it wasn't a, a glamorous road at all. It's pretty boring, actually. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very grateful for where I am. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful, privileged, whatever you want to say it, lucky. But when I hear a lot of other people's stories, especially on YouTube and places like, damn, these people have a really sexy story, right? Yeah. Well, something else you said that's kind of me running with this, but 
I love it how you grew up in a family that exposed you to entrepreneurship and, the, and different things like that. I grew up in a family, you know, very differently where it was like, you go to school, you get a good job. And that's like the only path we know. So that's, that's what we're going to tell you is the only path. And I'd always see like small businesses and be like, well, what are these guys? What did they go to school for? You know, and I couldn't, couldn't take my eye off of it. So in our house, I've got a 12 year old daughter who's going on 25 and I've got a 17 year old son going on 15 and I try to expose him to everything. Hey, Ethan, if you want to be an architect or an engineer, cause that's how his mind is, you got to go to school for that. But if you want to start a business, you're not going to school for that because it doesn't make any sense. So that's yeah, kind of- look, in my case, I, I don't think necessarily, let's put it this way. It's not necessarily whether my parents or my family pushed me to this. Do you understand? It wasn't like they were like, oh, you got to go do this. Yeah. And it wasn't like I was like, oh my God, I just got to go do this because it's a calling in life. Yeah. It was more on the fact of you see people and you see things around you. And, you know, in your formative years, especially growing up, you say, okay, well, there's that thing also. Yep. So it, it is not say, uh, it wasn't like necessarily they taught me in like a direct manner, like, yeah. hey, I'll do this and then this will happen sort of deal. It's yeah. more through a process of osmosis and observation, which a lot of times you don't even realize you're observing. It's just around you. So you're just immersed in that environment without you necessarily actively thinking that you have to go to this. That makes sense, but I, I do like the fact you're at least exposed to it. That's what I'm yeah, saying. yeah. But again, exposed to it in a in in a not direct manner, in just like when you're in an environment and you're, I believe, and you're in a good environment in any in any scenario, whether it's sports, even right. If you're surround yourself with A plus players, even if you're a shitty player, yeah. your caliber just inches up. That's yeah. the reality of the situation, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, so tell me, what asset classes and or markets do you typically focus on, and why? Well, first of all, short answer is anywhere I can go make money, number one. Okay? The longer answer to that is anywhere I can sustainably go make money and scale. Longer, shorter answer to that is uh, Sunbelt areas and basically more specific markets like I'm developing a lot in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So it's Texas, Georgia, Florida, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, it's primarily multifamily, but I also have a restaurant business where it's just franchises. We don't own the real estate. We just have the operating company. So the point there is go to areas and markets where people are going, jobs are good, taxes are low, cost of living is affordable. Still, hopefully it stays like that. And that's it. And the whole idea there is, you know, I have a very good background. Luckily enough, I'm a CFA charter holder. I work in investment banking. So I have a really good background in investments. And a lot of time people think it's that you have to do intelligent things. Whereas in my experience, a lot of life is not doing dumb things. Let's work this way. Above a certain level of intelligence, whatever that X number of intelligence, being more intelligent doesn't necessarily make you more money. Yeah. Right? So it's more emotional and temperament management. You don't get itchy fingers, right? You don't start doing dumb stuff. Yep. As opposed to some brilliant leap, like, hey, I invented, I don't know, like Elon Musk, like a rocket that goes to Mars or something. Yep. So let me ask you, that all makes a lot of sense, and I like it. Sioux Falls is on the east side of South Dakota, right near Iowa. Is that right? Uh, no, no, no. It's it's a horror. Let me just tell you. Exactly. I've been to Rapid City and Sioux Falls, and I always forget which I one. I think Rapid City and Sioux Falls are right? on the opposite sides of the state. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sioux Falls is more near, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's not near Iowa. Iowa's the other side, right? This is more near Nebraska and Minneapolis. Got it. Or, Got it. Yeah. Yep. yeah, when you said it, I was like, there is no way it's there. I'm right? <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want to sound stupid. So that's why I had to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea where it is. 
All right, let me ask you this, Omar. Uh, what simple marketing strategies and tactics have allowed you kind of to initially gain traction in getting new investors into your business? Man, I honestly wish I knew the answer to that because if I knew it, I would do it more and more. I think the simple thing basically is following up on your promises, man. You'd be surprised. I mean, I know everybody talks about some automation and some programming hack and you do three programs and you link them together and boom, emails start coming out. But for me, uh, it was just following through on my commitments. If I tell you I'm going to do something, sort of like an act of God happening. I will follow through on my commitment. But that's a slow burn process. Yep. But your investors are more sticky with you then. Yep. And it's very slow and painful. And I wish I knew a faster way because then I would do it and I'd be way richer. I mean, what you're what you're talking about is organic. Uh, just the face-to-face the -face relationships, doing what you say you're going to do, deliver more than you promise. That's simple stuff, but it does work really well. You know what's crazy is I talk to people every day, and it's not even about marketing. It's just about like effort and business in general. Most people don't follow up on anything. So you yeah. talk to a new potential investor a month ago. What happened after that call? Oh, I got busy. I never talked to him again. What? I talked to other buddies with digital marketing agencies like me. Hey, what happens after the sales call if they don't buy? Nothing. What? What? Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Just by adding a pipeline in our business, we doubled our revenue year over year. It's, we let marketing automation follow up so people don't forget about you. Doesn't exactly. Effort. So just making that effort, yeah, it goes a long way. So. But again, you know, it's, of course, I can just get better and better at it. Yeah. More follow-ups, more follow-ups. But at least there has to be one or two follow-ups, right? Yeah. Minimum. I mean, come on. Let's go. Well, we agree, like, zero is pretty weak. <laughs> I mean, zero is... And zero is guaranteed failure, basically. This. Because obviously, if you follow up too much, that might also piss off people after a certain time. There's some happy medium, but it's definitely not zero. Yeah, the thing I always lean into is like the further out it becomes from the meeting, make the follow-ups less and less frequent, but still have exactly. it. Just people are like, like if you're shopping for like a car or a watch, you're in that zone for like a week if you haven't made a purchase, but you get out like a few months, life is maybe taking a different direction, so... Staying close to it and more aggressive up front makes sense. So nah. let me ask you this. I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. If you strike me as a guy that likes curveballs. Um, I, I, I do. I have struck you wrong, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say the biggest mistake you've made in with your marketing is to this point? Oh, everything, man. I, I Again, I look at a lot of other people that are more successful. Again, because you have to benchmark yourself. You yeah. only have to look at people that are more successful than you in certain areas to see, okay, wow, that person can be a role model. Like I can model myself over what they're doing. Yeah. Dude, this is a question I'm trying to answer right now, actually. Basically, what is the missing piece, pieces or whatever it is, basically? And what can we do to put them in place in a sustainable manner? Because if it's just manual and brute force, that thing doesn't last too long. Yeah. So what is it? And look, it could be a combination of online or offline ventures. Maybe I need to be out on more conferences, I don't know what it is, but this is something I'm actively, every week, I am with my chief of staff, we're actively, we're actually in the midst of thinking, talking about this. For long Slack thread going for a long period of time, trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the next step? Because again, we have role models in front of us, right? Look, we're better in certain things, but there are other people better in certain things. Yeah. So I, I'm always a big believer that, hey, if somebody... Even if you don't like them personally, if they're better at you than something, don't be insecure. Literally just copy them, man. What's the worst, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and they're obviously good at it. I mean, yeah. 
Right. And what's funny about this question, maybe funny is the wrong thing, but kind of the reminder for me, because I've made a million mistakes too, at least mistakes remind you that you're trying something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were trying. That was the point. That's why we're having these conversations. We're trying. But that key piece where sometimes you feel, okay, I put this thing in or these things in or this framework in, and at least for that moment in time till you hit your next plateau, you're dialed in. Yep. That particular aspect from the marketing angle, we're still trying to figure it out. Yep. Got it. All right. So another curveball for you, since you've told me how much you like these, and this can be whatever you want, man. There's no filter okay. to this. Are you willing to share a story about your real estate investing journey or your other business journeys? Because you're into some things that you haven't shared publicly. It could be something funny. Look, man, I'm very, very public. Most of my persona is very public. But look, like I told you, right? A lot of this, and again, I think I've been lucky that not real estate wide, but generally life, I've had very good mentors. Yeah. Just not like not like some guru online, right? Or somebody like that. Just people I know professionally we work together, social, socially we know, family, friends, all of that sort of stuff. They're very successful. So you look up to these people. And very early on I realized that consistency is more important than intensity. So I don't know if this is a big reveal because I don't think it's a big reveal because yeah. obviously I'm the first person that came up with this. But most, if not all, of the successful people I know, and I, again, I'm very lucky to know lots of successful people in various lines of work, yeah. primarily through my family and now through my business, is that most of these people, like if you just meet them and you don't have the context of what they do, who they are, all of that sort of stuff, they won't necessarily come across to you as either very rich, even though they're extremely loaded, or terribly like, you know, conventionally intelligent. Like you go talk to somebody, you're like, oh my God, wow, what a great thought yeah. leader. But these are all people that are just dialed in, right? They're focused, they're dialed in, but they have a way where they're dialed into their work, but they also have a way to switch, turn the off switch. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I'm sure you know, know also a lot of these people, that people that are so dialed into their work, then they don't really have a family life or they don't have a social life. And yeah, they might be rich, but what's the point of be having money? when <laughs> You don't have a social life, you don't have a lot of friends, I don't know, your kids don't talk to you, your wife doesn't talk to you, you're all, you understand your only thing is your work. What's the point of that? Yeah, I get it. I, I agree with you. I equate this this idea to lifting weights quite a bit. So this is week two back in the weights for me. I went to sleep last night with the joy of having spasms in my abs, which is not fun if you've never experienced that. But I reminded myself, I said the next four to six weeks will be hell. But after that point, I'll start feeling great, seeing great results. And Every workout's not perfect, but if I'm consistent three times a week. You just have to get there. You just have to get to the workout. It doesn't have to be good. You just have to get there. Yep. And like you say, that consistency piece is so important. And even with marketing, people argue with me all the time, but I say content's important. Consistency's more important. So oh, yeah. even if like sometimes you're just talking about stuff that doesn't really apply, the fact that you're talking to people and they expected that and you showed up is a big deal. So it goes a long way. And dude, it's also like a craft, right? Where you have, you just have to do these screw ups for you to deliver your message in a 60 second sound, in a 30 second sound bite, in a one and a half minute sound bite. It's yep. a craft. And the only way you learn that craft is by just doing it. Yep. You don't just do it. You don't just get out of bed ready for prime time. Basically. <laughs> I hear you, man. You know, it's funny, look, tip with like my videos and my sound stuff I do, I always do it in one take, no matter what. No matter what happens, we're doing it in one take, so we've got to move on, so. <laughs> Are you getting the Bill O'Reilly thing? 
We'll just do it live. <laughs> even better, even better. All right, let's uh, let's pretend you are talking to somebody new who's wanting to get in the capital raising game. What would you suggest to them that they do in regards to their marketing getting started? What would you say, man, do this thing to get started, you'll thank me later. What would that be? So this is something that I didn't do, whatever. Because <laughs> so, you learn from experience. Okay. I would suggest you pick your lane yep. and you literally stick to that lane for, say, the first two years or three years. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's like you put blinders on. So if you just want to be an equity partner, I first off, I won't really call yourself an equity raiser. That's has a lot of legal stuff associated with it. So if you want to be an equity partner or some version of that, just dial that in, yep. right? And everything that comes with it, the marketing, the going to events, the consistency of content, just do that. And if you can do that for two years, then you decide to do something else. Yo, you think a lot of people try to go way too broad from the get-go? Yeah. But the other flip side to this also is I'm also seeing people, I think people have read a lot of marketing books, so they're getting way too narrow. Like I was reading somebody saying, and I, I'm not picking on this guy at all. Yeah. Hopefully he's pretty successful. I, oh, like something along the lines of, I only deal with supply chain professionals in manufacturing. I was like, bro, how many people are you going to, I mean, my friend, that's a pretty neat, I think, I know you got a niche down, but... <laughs> That's going to be like, I am only going to talk to people in my neighborhood that are more than six feet tall. <laughs> I mean, that you understand. I mean, that's a step. There's niches. Yeah. And then there's there's that. So don't like, I mean, niche down. Or don't like freaking like niche down to where you only have like three people in the world. Yeah. Yep. So got to use common sense a little bit. Yep. I think with niching down, you know, when I talk to people for my digital marketing stuff, like tell me about your business, try to figure out if they knew or if they done this a while. When people say my target is anybody with money, I'm like, is that it? That could also be the mob, by the way. <laughs> but it's like, you know, another thing I've learned in my journey is, yeah, you want to niche down, but sometimes you don't know your niche. So if you niche down a little and you're willing to pivot, if you see an opportunity that's still in line with what you're doing, that is a good piece of advice as well. Don't be so... Look, you're always going to pivot, by the way. Yeah. Like, whatever you do, you're going to pivot. So, Yo. you know. Yo, absolutely. So, we are recording this in February 2023. As you look forward to the rest of this year, what are you most focused on as you continue to grow your business? Well, we have a couple of developments coming out. But on the acquisition side, we have a distressed acquisition fund as well, basically. Because we have our own operating team. And we're seeing a lot of deals in the market that are maybe decent deals, um, but they're not financed properly. They're not capitalized correctly. So we have a fund that takes care of that. So what we do with the fund is that we provide release either in the form of rescue capital. We can take over some of the GP interests as well, just to help people recapitalize deals because nobody wants the deals to go back to the lender. Yep. Gotcha. Is anybody watching or listening? wants to get more info on what you're doing or what you're into, how can they do so? Well, you can join my mailing list by going to my website, boardwalkwealth.com. That's board, B-O-E-R-D, walk wealth. The form is right on the homepage. And if you join now, I'll also give you access to my free hidden mobile app. It's that has over nine hours of free passive investing courses. Again, that's at boardwalkwealth.com. Awesome. That is a great URL, by the way. So... Cool, man. I really enjoyed having you on. This is a lot of fun and appreciate your time. No, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yep. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I had a great time making it, and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on with the show, new episodes, and things like that. reimarketingstories.com. So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, okay? Um, Our guest today and the other guests that you will hear on the show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser and you're ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. Check out our free 10-minute video there, and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. All right, thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.